Hi, and welcome to the MBA Ladies, a podcast by women about the MBA and business experience. I'm Nora. And I'm Emily, and we're your hosts. Today, we're going to discuss the investment banking recruitment process with one of our classmates, Vedanti. Vedanti is a first-year MBA candidate at the Owen Graduate School of Management at Vanderbilt, and she's concentrating in finance and strategy. Vedanti is involved at Owen as a board fellow, a first-year student government senator, and a net impact board member. Welcome, Vedanti. Thank you so much, guys. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, we're so excited to have you. We'd love to just kick it off by, you know, you kind of introducing yourself and telling us about your background and why you went to Owen. Yeah, so I'm from India, specifically from Gujarat in India. Back home, I used to work in marketing. I worked across two different startups for roughly four years. And that has nothing to do with my educational background, which is in biochemistry. But I came across the startup opportunity, really liked the work environment, really liked working in startups, did that for a while. But then I always felt that I wasn't making a lot of impact, neither for my clients nor for the organization at large, just because it was really small. So I decided to make a shift and uh, transition to an environment where I could actually create more impact in my role and take on a bit more challenges in the role and environment itself. Decided business school was the best way to do that and made the decision to pursue business school. So that was the whole idea. And with Vanderbilt, I was looking at 10 designated programs because we're international student. And among those, Vanderbilt really stood out because I had some really good conversations with people here. There were some raving good reviews about the finance program here. So I thought that this was the best way to make that transition. So here I am. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the first time you ever went to Owen, right? was like when you went to Owen, like you didn't get the chance to visit or anything. It was like you read about it and learned as much as you could. And then you were like, yes, this is it, right? That is so true. I knew there were so many other programs where you could visit the school for a weekend. And at that point, the only way I could visit the school was in the middle of a pandemic, which was not happening. So yeah, it was straight and up and here at Owen. That is pretty awesome. That, I mean, what, did it did it stand up to what you expected? I mean, I think it was, to be honest, it was a lot more than what I expected. I did not really think that as an international student in a program where the communi- community of international students is relatively small, I would have a, as much exposure, but I was so wrong. I got more opportunities. I got a lot more uh, visibility the program is great. The professors are great. The peers, oh my God, I'm talking to you guys. Like, the peers are wonderful. <laughs> so I think it's like, it's a lot more than I expected and everything in a good way. That's really sweet. I'm glad it it, it turned out to be a good experience because that was, that's amazing that you, you didn't visit and it just... I'm so glad that you did come here because I um, didn't visit any of the other schools I applied to. And that kind of like really made me nervous to accept those schools because I was like, oh, like I I haven't been there. I don't know what the people are like. I don't know what the campus is like. And so Vanderbilt was the only one I did visit. And so knowing you made that decision without visiting, I'm in awe. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's the best decision I have made for a business school. I'd love to hear too, Vijanti. So you've made like several career shifts now because you were in biochemistry majoring in that and then having been in marketing and now moving to finance. So what kind of were those moments where you were like, okay, I want to pivot and I want to do this next step? 
So it's funny, like, I think if I go back right to my education from my undergrad, I was still really positive about, about biochemistry. So I decided to pursue your master's, but somewhere in my second year of master's, which was a two-year program, I uh, realized that it was a very solitary work environment. I was doing some research, some really great research, but I, but I was doing it all by myself in a lab, six hours, seven hours a day. I was like, this is not me. I cannot, you know, continue doing that. So after I completed my master's, I, I did see it through. I did not want to just leave it abruptly. I saw it through after a few months. There was this opportunity that came through a friend of mine who suggested that, you know, I could work uh, at his workplace. He left as, uh, within a month after I joined. But that workplace was a really good experience. It was a startup. It was not, there were no boxes to check in terms of qualifications. It was just a good conversation in the interview and they gave me the job. So I was like, hooray. And after that, again, that startup obviously faced certain challenges with their with the typical startup environment, the uncertainty of it, shifted to another work environment. And I was like, I cannot keep on bouncing off startups every two years, every three years. I need some place that I want to stay grounded and actually grow and learn from others around me, from the seniors, from the juniors and all of that. So that was when I decided that, you know, I want to make one proper switch and see it through for the rest, the next five to seven or 10 years. maybe. That kind of leads to this question that we, we wanted to ask you was, so you made the choice to come to Vanderbilt and make a decision to pursue business school, but what kind of led your decision to pursuing investment banking? And did you come to Vanderbilt knowing that you wanted to pursue IP? Not necessarily, I'd say. That's the short answer. But looking back at it, I think now that I'm sort of putting the pieces together, a lot of my client interactions in my previous roles were with financial institutions. I used to work with them a lot. And the more I worked with them, the more financial clients I took up. And the more I got involved in that industry, really loved knowing about the industry knowing about the way the roles function there. So I think at, in the back of my mind, I sort of knew that finance seems like a really interesting career choice and I might want to do it full time. But it wasn't until after I accepted the Owen admit and Owen gave me this access, like we have the bright space where you have, uh, as an international student, you had access to a bunch of resources even before the program started. And this was like four months before the program started. And I was just going through those resources, going through the career choices, looking at all of the opportunities that were available in finance. And there were a bunch of pre-MBA networking events that used to happen before the program started. Forte Conference was one of them, but then I attended like a few of them and that kept on solidifying my choice more and more in investment banking as I knew more about the role and how closely it resonated with a startup environment in terms of its uh, dynamic nature and fast-paced environment, but how it also resonated to a more higher impact role. Absolutely. I feel like it was really nice this summer to have a couple. I had some conferences that I went to, Forte being one of them, albeit virtually. And it was nice to kind of like test things out before school started and been like, okay, like I'm really interested in this. And like you go to the booth for like that company or that role and you're like, no, I don't like, thank you. Checked it off. Like, I don't have to worry about that during school, like <laughs> got it ready to go. And it was really helpful to kind of have those experiences beforehand before like 
all the classes and tests and midterms and projects and all that stuff to like kind of like fine tune stuff a little bit more. So that's awesome that you had that opportunity too. Yeah, that is so true. I mean, as much as you get to know about things you definitely want to do, you also get to know the things that you never want to pursue. So these conferences help you test those waters. So true. And sometimes that's like even like better, you know, where you're like, I don't know what I want to do. I want to do everything. And you're like, but I don't want to do that, (laughs) which is always nice to kind of like narrow that scope a little bit going into school. So I'm interested to know, so like you said, with the startups, I think you mentioned that there was like a marketing part of it, but then you also got to kind of experience and like play around with like the financial aspect of like retaining clients. So like, I just want to, I guess I wanted to know more of like, what did those roles look like? And, and clearly it definitely sparked like your interest into going into investment banking, but like how, how much did you really know about the industry and how much of it was really like learning about it when you came here and, and kind of digging around to get more info? Okay, so I think going off to my previous experience, so it was a startup and although my my actual role was an operations manager, but there were so many other hats that I was juggling. I was doing uh, marketing projects for them. At some point I was handling their finances. I was handling client payments and all of that. So I was I was actually doing a lot of the finance part of it, but I think for me, the most impactful experience there was actually working with clients who were uh, commercial banks and uh, finance startups, fintech startups. And that really sparked my interest in finance as an industry, which was like almost at this point, it was almost four to five years ago. So after that, I did have experience. I used to be around a lot of people in finance. Uh, One of my close relatives has been in the finance space for almost 20 years. So them looking at the markets, the way the thought process with the market works and the way their client interactions work, the way their their interest in the finance space keeps on building up. All of those parts were really fascinating. So for me, that was, I think that was probably what made me realize that maybe this is something that I actually like, but I've never given it a lot of thought because it is just something that I've always been doing in parallel with my main role. So I never got a chance to actually explore finance, but I always loved it. And I thought that, you know, maybe the business school experience would actually allow me to experience something that I always liked. And yeah, so these, uh, I attended almost four pre-MBA networking conferences. And those networking conferences was where I was exploring the world of banking. There were so many investment banks that were, holding those events in those uh, networking spaces that I just kept on going to all of the events that had anywhere, like anything remotely close to an investment bank uh, speaking there. And one of the conferences that really helped was actually a financial conference. So I just deep dive went into it, attended every single session, talked to every single bank, got to know as much about the role as was possible. And once I fixated on it, I knew that Investment banking is the recruiting process that I was going to see through, hopefully until I got uh, an internship offer. Which you have. Which I do. Let's celebrate that. (laughs) Thank you. Round of applause for that. (laughs) Always a weight off your shoulders when the recruitment process is over. So I've heard I'm still in the midst, but I'd love to hear kind of switching into that, like 
having started school and then, you know, you were starting to recruit, like, what did that recruitment process kind of look like? Like how much time did you have to spend? You know, it seems like you put in a lot of work in during the summer, just going to conferences. What, what did that look like when you like first kicked off that whole recruitment process? So over the summer, I did attend a lot of uh, these sessions, but the recruitment process itself, the effort on my part, sort of subsided when school began and we were burdened with a bunch of different courses and a bunch of different schoolwork and all of that. So at that point, my efforts took a backseat. The only thing I used to do at that point was just attend as many information sessions as I could, learn more about the company, find the point of contacts for those companies, connect with them on LinkedIn, send them emails. And just that was the only part that I used to work on then. I think the maximum effort on my part sort of started once the first seven weeks of sub seven to eight weeks of school were done. And at that point, I was like, banking is one of the first on-campus recruiting events, the cycles that begins. And I was like, I have to go head in, head on into this. So started preparing with a bunch of other first years interview technicals. Banking technicals were dreaded for me because I did not come from a finance background. So I was like, if I miss, and banking technicals, everyone says that they are like a crucial component. So it is essentially a check, check mark. Like if you mess up the basic banking technicals, they are never going to consider you. And that was the one thing that I was dreading throughout my internship process. That if I mess up one of the basic technical questions, the company is just going to shut me out of their recruiting process. So Vindanti, for our, for our listeners who aren't as familiar with the recruitment process, what are technicals for IB? What is, what is, is that technical math questions? What does that look like? So IB technicals, to define it in a very simple way, are just parts of the IB role that you actually do in your day-to-day banking role and understanding the concepts behind those. So all of the financial basic concepts that go into your day-to-day role in banking, that is what the IB technicals would comprise of. So it is whatever industry, whatever part of the banking industry you are working in, just having a basic idea of what the role is and what the actual job is going to entail. So the technicals are basically it is a set of 400 questions that you have to learn and understand and know conceptually. On top of classes. <laughs> On top of classes. I was waiting for you to say how many types of, how many questions there were, because uh, I knew it was close to 400. And I was like, Madanti, you're making this sound way less difficult that you had to prepare for. I know it was a lot. Yeah, 400 questions is a lot to prepare for. So props to you. Yeah, that's awesome. It worked out. but yeah sorry I interrupted you so you would do technicals and work with other students and then what what happened after you kind of like prepped in that way that was the first part and then the other part of your interview is your behavioral part of the interview where you are actually identifying if you are a good fit for the company and the company is doing the same so understanding your motivation for pursuing this role and not just basically just one fine morning you just up and decided to become a banker Understanding your commitment, understanding the profile, understanding how many hours you are going to invest into this. So identifying those two aspects of the interview and preparing for those on top of networking with every single person 
that you could in that bank and understanding if you are the right fit for that uh, bank. Those were the three main components that comprised of the entire recruiting process, which was around seven weeks of rigorous uh, parts of all of these three process and some behind the scenes of another two months. Wow. So with investment banking, like how many banks did you go through the process of networking with? Because I know specifically with investment banking, my understanding is that you really have to network with those colleagues to really even get a job offer at all, which I don't think that's the same in every industry that I've noticed. So I I was just wondering, like, how many banks did you really like pursue? And did you really like, was your process or strategy just to like pick one specifically that you really wanted? Or did you spend and find the time to do several? Like, what was that like? Yeah, so I was not recruiting only with banks on campus. There were certain banks that I had some contacts with earlier in the process. So at that point, I think in the peak of the investment uh, banking recruitment process, I was recruiting, networking with six different banks. And slowly into the process, some banks stopped responding. So Heavily, rigorously, I was probably sending like 20, 25, 30 emails to these banks almost every week. And ultimately, there were four banks that I was very rigorously having these conversations with trying to shoot cold emails, which was the worst thing to do because it really shot down your confidence when you would not get a reply for like three weeks, four weeks straight up. But yeah, It's essentially, if you don't network, you don't even get an interview, let alone a job offer. So to get to getting an interview, you need to do a lot of networking. So at that point, I was rigorously having conversations with four banks and trying to get an interview with them. You make it sound so easy. (laughs) You make it sound, you're like, you're like, yeah, I I worked, but it it was whatever. Like, I, I think it sounds like you put in a lot of work and, you know, that's just, really something incredible. And I I applaud you to have to go through all of that. And, you know, luckily it worked out, but, but it's no small feat for sure. But Dante, you were definitely being very humble. Like I was complaining the other day and I I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm taking so many classes. Like I'm up to 20 credits. Like I, I just feel overwhelmed. And then Dante's like, yeah, I'm taking like 24, but it's like, okay, it's not too bad. I'm like, okay, (laughs) I'll just sit back in the corner. I can do it. If Adachi can do it, I can do it too. <laughs> See, that's the thing. Like, I just take up a lot of things and it's not until I'm actually knee deep into all of it that I realize maybe, you know, 24 credits wasn't a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, yeah, that's another thing. I, I think, you know, also being so humble about, you know, going through this whole recruitment process on top of taking so many credits and you're involved with like everything it feels like at Owen, like you're always doing something and always, you know, posting something on Slack or emailing and coming with ideas for like events for class. And I don't know, again, you make it look so easy and it's just, it's just incredible what you do for, you know, Owen, as well as just, you know, classmates and things like that. It's awesome. Oh, you both have been so nice. <laughs> no, it's, it's so true. I, I literally wonder like, does she sleep enough? Like how many hours of sleep does Vedanti get? Because how does she do it all? <laughs> No, that no, that genuinely feels so nice because yeah, at the end of the day, it's you are doing so many things. Some of these things you are doing to actually make yourself feel happy and like go away from all of the stress that you have to feel. But it, it feels nice to have other people acknowledge that as well. 
We see you, Vedanti. Oh yeah, we see it. 100%. <laughs> so I'd also love to hear Vedanti. So we've kind of just like underlyingly said the differences between the IB recruitment process and like other kinds of recruitments. And it might be harder for you to, you know, say because you haven't gone through other kinds of recruitments in this traditional MBA format, but what are like some of the differences that you've noticed between recruiting for IB and recruiting for other kinds of, you know, roles or industries and things like that? A major difference that I definitely have noticed is that banking in itself is very network driven as a process. And it's not just one phone call that you do and that is your networking, but building a an entire web for yourself in that organization uh, at all different hierarchy of the organization. I think those factors are really important for you to not just get an, get like an entry-level position into that organization, but for you to actually be able to thrive in that organization even later on. I, I, I personally haven't seen a lot of other um, industries that are as network-driven. I know consulting sort of has a similar approach but these are like two completely different industries consulting has a very different approach to the entire networking process i think banking has an entirely different process uh, approach to it and yeah i think the other part is you know having those conversations in the interview the technical aspect it's it's essentially just a check in the box but i think the fit aspect in banking is quite underappreciated I know in a lot of other industries, your fit with the organization is a huge aspect. But in banking, a lot of people don't really acknowledge how important the fit uh, with your organization is. And so behavioral aspect of the interview and those conversations around fit and culture, as much as they are important to the entire recruitment process and to the entire organization, they are not as valued probably by us as candidates, which is something that, I don't know, I for for a fact know that at one point I did not secure a job interview because I did not really appreciate the fit aspect enough. And I learned from that lesson and stopped doing, doing it for the rest of the conversations. But yeah, I think a lot of people think that banking, the technical aspect is what shows how smart you are in your role. But the behavior aspect is underappreciated, which I think is very different from a lot of other industries where you have to find a good fit with the organization. Yeah, that's so interesting. I'd love to hear too, as a career switcher, I've heard from a lot of different people who are considering business or something like that. They're always like, I don't have a traditional background in this exact role. Like my career path isn't linear. It's kind of branches out and people see that as a weakness, but I've, I've found talking to other people in our class, cause we've had a lot of non-traditional backgrounds or, you know, just different things where, you know, it doesn't line up perfectly to where, you know, you were in finance before, and then you're concentrating in finance and doing your MBA, and then you're going back to finance. There's a lot of different branches, I feel like different roads that people travel on. Um, so I'd love to hear, how do you think you're like more non-traditional, not as linear background helped you with recruiting and made you stand out from other candidates? I think the best thing about not having a traditional background was that I did not know what they expected from somebody in this role. You know, I think I, it, it gave me an opportunity to present myself as is and uh, show how I would be a good fit with, with all of the things, with all of the diversity from my background that I'm bringing in, how that is going to help me in my role. 
So knowing that, in fact, not knowing that what they expected expected from somebody with a traditional background or with somebody who has some background in finance, that really helped because that allowed me to carve my own path in the entire recruiting process and not rely on a set thought process that somebody from finance is supposed to have these many credentials and that is your first step towards recruiting. I had no, no such background and I think so I just came in from a blank slate and just painted the canvas as I wanted in, in a very weird analogy sense. But that I think that worked a lot in my favor. Such an elegant way to say that. I love that. So I was wondering, was there any was there a point at any time where you started to question going into investment banking? Like the amount of time that you had to put in, the amount of effort you had to put into learning all of the technicals and being prepared and then also just networking with with these different banks like was there ever a moment where you questioned that this was the right industry for you that this was even like the right opportunity for you so the more I got invested in the process the more I realized that this is the exact thing that I want to do but the other side to it is that every single time I hit a hurdle in the process. I started questioning if I was the right person for the job. And that could be the smallest or the largest hurdle. And so I, in general, am a person who's real afraid of failures. So I, so somebody not replying to my email is a huge failure for me. And in the banking process, it was, it was a door just shutting off for me for that organization. And to be honest, I think now I can just talk about it. But at that point, in that time, it was the scariest thing to do. You know, write an email, not get a response. Write another email, not get a response. And not getting an answer straight up for two months. Or doing a mock interview and one of your interviewers telling you that, you know, this was completely wrong. Or just not knowing an answer to a question. Or being all thrown off track in one of your questions. All of those aspects for me were points where I was really scared. Like if that banking does not work out, I don't have a plan B. Because at that point, I was like, banking is what I want to do. This is what I am here for. And this is what I'm going to pursue. So I wasn't focusing on anything else. I At every point, I knew somebody, like I knew all of my friends had backup options in their uh, career search. And... They were like, you know, we are going to put all in into banking, but if that does not work out, this is our plan B. And I was like, I'm just going to keep on doing banking until I can't anymore. And that was that was scary. Like, I think going through that entire process, not having any other plan B or not having any other way out of it, that was scary. And that was something that, that I was always questioning what what happens next what if this does not work out what if this does not work out and if it hadn't worked out I did not have an answer to that yeah all in baby (laughs) (laughs) but I feel like that also you know it seems to have helped you you know give you that drive and like really put in that time and effort into it and be like yeah this is what I want to do like I I don't want a plan b I, I want my plan a to work really bad and I feel like that that kind of showed through, obviously, because you're you're here and you're employed for the summer. I'd love to hear too. How long did it take you to get an internship offer? So, 
just the whole process, I guess, starting over the summer, how long did that process take you from like kind of slowly doing stuff and attending career fairs and things like that to like getting an offer? So I started attending these career fairs and pre-MBA events from May of 2020. Attended those events. There was a brief halt of around a month and a half in between where I wasn't actively networking. And after that, there was another three months of process that I uh, went through. So on and all, I'd say around five months was the entire duration starting from summer all the way until December end. That was when I got my offer. So that was the entire process. Seven months with a month and a half of break in between. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot for sure. I think again, you know, starting to do this stuff over the summer, it sounds like it was really helpful because, you know, you can kind of figure things out and like start, like, it's like baby networking, you know, where you're like, okay, like I'm technically not an MBA student yet, but like, I can kind of figure out and like send the cold emails now so that, you know, when everybody else comes to campus in August and September, everybody's freaking out about like sending an email to the, who, someone they've never met. And then you're like, whatever, I've been doing it for a little bit now. Like I'm okay. <laughs> I'm not weird doing this. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. I remember in all of those events, every single person was representing a company. They were just like, you know, this is your time to be stupid. Do whatever you want. Ask, Ask the dumbest question you want. And nobody's going to judge you for it. Because this is where you can make all your mistakes and figure out your recruiting process and everything. And once you're in that process, that is when you can't afford to make a mistake. Right now, do whatever you want. And I think that like having that option really helps. So true. I, um, in one of our classes recently, there was a guest speaker who, uh, you know, we were asking him all sorts of questions. And one of the things he said was like, even just like being an MBA student, he's like, use that. Cause like, if somebody's on LinkedIn and is like, I'm an MBA student, I'd love to talk to you. He's like, yeah, that sounds great. But if someone's like, I'm a analyst at whatever, I'd love to talk to you. He's like, there's a catch. Like, it's almost like being a student and being like a learner and stuff, like gives you that safe little bubble, um, to where people are like, yeah, of course I'll help you. Yeah, sure. I'll talk to you about whatever thing for, you know, a brief 15 minutes of my time or something. Um, which is something I, I didn't realize until recently. And I'm like, I need to use that more. Like I need to, I need to use that guys, that, <laughs> that new learning student kind of guys again to, to my advantage. That's very true. Okay, so Vedanti, do you have any advice for our listeners about IB recruitment? Oh, let me, disclaimer, I think it is a position of privilege to be able to offer advice for investment banking recruitment because there is no one right answer to it. Like, And I know this is an overused phrase or whatsoever, but To be honest, there are so many times where you and like five other classmates are doing the exact same thing, going through the exact same process, but you still have different outcomes. And I think that's probably the prime prime thing here is that that is just the nature of this industry. I feel like as much as we have gone through the process, we have realized that you can do the exact same thing and you can do all the right things but sometimes it just does not work out for you. And it happened to me in one of the interviews that I did apart from the bank that I accepted the offer with. And 
it just did not work out you can spend hours and hours and hours planning and preparing for your interviews preparing on current market uh, scenarios and finding the exact right answers that the person would want to hear but it might just not work out so essentially again an overused phrase but be yourself in your entire recruitment process because that is what gets that is what sets you apart from the rest of the people you can try to fit the box of an investment banker or you can say that this is what i bring this is how good i am and this is how i am going to be a good candidate for this role it might not not necessarily fit your box but at least you are being honest about your position in this role and showing that you are willing to learn i think more so than you know having an expertise in finance what companies expect is that you are willing to learn and you are going to say that i don't know something and you are willing to put in the effort for that so as long as you are going to convey that companies appreciate it and they are willing to give you that opportunity to learn and uh, learn from the best maybe in the industry but you have to show that willingness in the process and network network like there is no tomorrow <laughs> talk to as many people as you can not because that gets you that gets your name on the board but because it actually helps you figure out if the company is actually something is actually a place that you want to work long term and if their idea of a good investment banker matches with your idea of being a good investment banker and no no matter like how many websites and things that you browse through unless you talk to people in that organization you are never going to know the tiny teeny things that make them different from the 10 other banks that you are talking to that's so true i feel like i've been in many an interview where you're like so what is something different about your company and i feel like almost every single time the answer i get is like the company culture and it's interesting because you know you you don't truly through that like interview question moment like know what the company culture is and you do have to go and network and talk a little bit and and you truly don't know until you're like engulfed in the company culture yourself but i think it's so important to kind of like figure that out and learn through that recruitment process like oh yeah like this is i could vibe with these people like i could go to work and work super long hours with these people and things like that and and they do the same thing with you right like they don't want to work with someone who they're like okay i'm not a big fan of you because they're going to be working with you all the time so i think that's that's super important to kind of note in in the process is definitely going through i feel like oh and especially and i'm sure you know in ib too they really hark on networking <laughs> which is very important so it's a good thing they do <laughs> and this is really interesting for me because before i came to the us to study here i had no concept of what networking looks like back home in india there was no concept of networking if you know one person in the organization there is a good chance that you are going to get an interview or maybe you just directly get the job offer because that person knows you they can vouch for you they can be your uh, they can be your cheerleader in that organization and they can vouch for all the things here you have to have 10 people who are ready to vouch for you and that process is so different here 
and you know being like going out of your comfort zone and making those conversations and just sending somebody an email saying that hey you don't know me but i want an i want a job at your company so please talk to me like being able to put that in really nice words and getting a response back i think that has been a lot of trial and error specifically getting those responses back so true. I feel like even me, like I feel weird sent like at the beginning, you know, you'd get an email address and you're like, am I, am I creepy for sending this person an email about like being like, I want to connect real fast. And then you realize like everybody does it and like, it's not weird at all. But I think at least for me, it was like that beginning process of like, is this weird? Like, hi, I'm not a weirdo. Like, I'd love to talk to you. <laughs> and it's like, oh, this is normal. I'd also love to hear like, so you said that you would, you know, continue to network and continue to like, not just have one conversation or shoot off one email and call it a day, you continue that. So what would that look like? Would you like set a reminder on your calendar or would you like come across like an article or something and be like, Hey, I thought of you, what would, what did you do to continue that networking in that like relationship with the people that you had originally talked to? So I think uh, something that this was something that was discussed in one of these summer events that I uh, attended. So they always said that if you're not prepared to maybe have those conversations right away, send them a thank you email and set up these recurring reminders every three weeks or maybe every four weeks that, you know, now is the time to reach out back to that person again. And instead of writing another cold email saying that, hey, we connected, let's talk again. Instead, come up with something valuable that you can add to that conversation. Uh, maybe it is an article that you came through, or maybe it is something about their organization that has uh, recently come into picture and, or maybe they have just reported good quarterly earnings, like have those talking points instead of just being somebody who wants something from them, be ready to have that conversation where you are also offering something and saying that you acknowledge the company and you acknowledge that you have been keeping up to date with the company, with their department, with their organization in general. And the more you do so, the better are your chances of getting a response back that is not automated or that is not just giving you a time, but actually having a conversation. I think at some point you have to shift from having a to and fro about schedules and availabilities to actually having conversations with those people. And that does not happen overnight. I, I used to maintain a spreadsheet where I had literally written the names of every single person from every single company I had contacted, the data I had contacted them, uh, what was the last talking point that we had in the conversation, and when is like the next ideal time to connect with them. And every week I'd just check that spreadsheet once. So that would like give me a rough idea that, okay, is it the week that I have to go back and speak to them? If so, I'll just schedule a mail if it is like at 12 in the night that I've thought about it. Mail scheduling is a blessing. It has saved me from so many different, so many weird email hours. It's a blessing. That's, I just found out about it like recently, like in the last year. And I'm like, this is genius. Cause then I don't have something sitting in my drafts. Cause I don't want to send it at like one 30 in the morning. Cause I just happen to be up and remember to do something. I'm like, this is just brilliant. I, I love it. Then I can be like, oh, wow. She woke up at 8am to send me this email. How amazing. And I'm like, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. And, and 
I think it even works really well when you are talking to people in different time zones. Most of the conversations I was having were on the Eastern time zone. And at some point when I was having those conversations, I was on the Pacific time zone. So making those three-hour scheduling conflicts was really difficult, like having those nays sent in at the exact right time when that person is most likely to respond, but nail scheduling to the rescue. But Dante, I wanted to ask you, so something that's really been interesting to me is how the finance world in particular, like we see it a little bit with just business school, like the number or the percentage of women that are in business school. I feel like I say this really a lot. So the, so Vanderbilt has 32% women in the class of, of our class of 2022. And that kind of is reflected also in just in finance in general. But specifically with venture capital and private equity, which is an article that Emily found on Investopedia. Such a great site. Saved me in finance. <laughs> they taught me a lot in Mod 1. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good good website. But so it, they did, a, they collected information from the Harvard Business School from a study, and it showed that with venture capital and private equity, women held just 9% and 6% of the positions respectively in terms of leadership positions. So I'm just curious in terms of every time that you interviewed, how often were you interviewed by a woman versus were you always interviewed by a man? What did that kind of look like? So so glad that you brought up that question because I know the only one other time where I actually had the opportunity to talk to a woman at a seniority level in all of these conversations, I had that opportunity twice. It was one bank that is probably one of the largest banks across the world. So you would expect that it has one woman in the seniority position. And when, when I look back on these conversations, a lot of the men that I have spoken to, they're like, don't bring up their gender. Don't bring up the fact that they are a woman in the industry. So how is it different for them? Or how is it difficult for them? Or how have they navigated it? They don't like being asked that question. And I'm like, that makes sense. You know, as, as a woman, if I am at a director level and all I'm going to be asked about is as a woman, what help you get here. I don't think a man is asked the same question in the same seniority level. So, uh, and that, that is true. But I, as somebody who's starting in this role, I want to know what challenges you are facing when every step of the way, when you are moving up the seniority. And in general, in banking across a lot of organizations, what I've seen is in general, women take more time to climb up the corporate ladder with most of the banks that is the case even with the bank that i am going to intern with one of the conversations that i had in the interview was that what is the bank's commitment to diversity because as a female candidate for me that is really important and the person that i was talking to i think i was so happy to listen to them say that we are not 100% there. We haven't achieved all of our diversity goals. But every single day, we are like making an effort to change that. And the fact that they were ready to acknowledge that we aren't 100% amazing, but we are constantly making an effort. I think for me, that is important. Like I know finance as an industry is something where women in general 
there are very few women. There are even fewer as you move up the ladders, as we have talked multiple times in LTO classes. But to boil that all down to this one fact that your organization is trying to make an effort to change that and not just at, you know, one level, across all the levels of the organization, I think that is a commitment that at some point you have to make. Otherwise, even if women enter the workforce, they are just going to go out of it faster than you would expect. So true. I feel like, you know, it's kind of a dilemma I've faced being now like in really engulfed in business and seeing these women in high powered positions, whether it's in finance or something else. And, you know, the internal debate of like, yeah, they shouldn't be asked, how does it feel to be a CEO of this company as a woman? But like, as a woman myself, I'm like, I genuinely want to know, like, you're so cool. I want to be like you. I genuinely want to know. So it kind of like, is that like balance beam thing where you're like, I, I know I shouldn't ask this, but like, I genuinely, as a woman, like, think you're so cool. And like, you're one of the few, and I really want to know. And it's like, kind of figuring out like how to toe that line for sure is, it's difficult. And it's, it's really for me too, whenever I'm talking to a company or talking to a person and like, they're just very transparent and like very much like, yeah, we see this as an issue. And like, we're really working towards changing it. I think that like, is just a really, I don't know. It's a really great thing to see. Um, you know, it's terrible that, you know, they're not quite there yet, but at the same time, it's really awesome to see that they recognize it and they're not kind of trying to sweep it under the rug or whatever. And they're like, yeah, we're trying it. Like, this is our goal to fix it. Like we see that there's this disparity and like, we are moving towards, you know, a better, better company, better world, all that stuff. Yeah, that is true. And I think again, sort of going back, like recently Bumble went public Yes. The CEO, she became a billionaire at 31. And, you know, not a lot of people, first things first, not a lot of people become billionaires at 31. True. Let's acknowledge that first. And I think, yeah, I, I, I think it just sometimes undermines the achievement of women when you say that, you know, as a woman, she achieved being a billionaire at 31. But the fact that, just in general, humans, very few humans become billionaires at 31. You are discrediting the fact that she is getting there on that merit as well. So I think that is like another aspect of gender disparity that you see in, in companies, in venture capital, in IPO filings. Everywhere you see that disparity and obviously it's a lot of work in progress. But the fact that these conversations happen and people are honest about these conversations in their environment that that does make a difference I think that's like always going to be a good starting point rather than never acknowledging it at all so true I can't wait till the day we can just be like this is the youngest person ever to take their company public instead of like the youngest woman like that's the dream to one day be like yeah you go girl but she's just happens to be the youngest person and they don't mention the gender you know I, I think that'd be an ideal world hopefully one day we'll be live to see it you get to that point yeah, I, I think I struggle with that as well. Like I I was listening to a podcast, How I Built This, and one of the, what's it called? One of the guests that were on the show, she was talking about how she had her experience at business school and then how she transitioned to venture capitalism and, and what that experience was like as a woman. But the 
host kept kind of like asking about like how as a woman she experienced these things and how from that perspective what did she what did she experience as challenges and and she kind of like dodged the question quite a bit until the end where she really kind of opened up a little bit and explained why certain things happened and and how she was at a disadvantage for just being a woman in venture capitalism where a lot of the times when you're trying to pitch something you're pitching it to a man who you know he like one person was having people over he was having people over to his house to like just like invite them over and he was having like a good time and just like showing them around and they would like hang out um very casually but she was like pregnant and so it was just like a difficult thing where she was having to make decisions because she was pregnant she couldn't just fly whenever and so it was just all these like tiny little things that really added up to putting her at a disadvantage and it was it was hard for me to listen to at times because it was almost like she didn't want to talk about those disadvantages like she wanted to like explain her experience as just being someone in VC and i i do understand that and i i wish we could be at that point in in life right now but i think in order to make that change where we do get to that point where everyone just acknowledges like hey she's just in venture capitalism it's not there's no disadvantage like she's at equal footing i think we have to create awareness so that people understand what steps they need to take to get there and so that requires her to be vulnerable as a leader in that position and i i think that's a lot easier for me to say rather than me being her in that position but i definitely understand that it's complicated you guys just this this past week you uh, talked about imposter syndrome and i think for me when i when i got that internship offer there was a slight thing in the back of my mind where i was like is it because you know i'm i'm genuinely good at what i did or you know or maybe do i i don't deserve to be in this role because there are so many other competent peers of mine who are clearly more qualified who have a knowledge of the industry or whatever like a thousand other things but maybe i don't deserve this role as much as they think i do and yeah i think sometimes it just gets to you and uh, it's it's difficult to you know build up that confidence but it's always a work in progress i guess so true and you know on on that episode we talked about having a support system so this is us supporting you vedanti like you did put in a ton of work like you're so smart like you you've put in you put in the effort and i think you know just just to hear it again because i'm sure you've heard it from a lot of other people <laughs> like i don't know i feel like you're super deserving of it and and it wasn't just something that fell into your lap like it a lot of blood sweat and tears i'm sure <laughs> and again you made it look so easy <laughs> women support women energy all the way yes <laughs> i love it <laughs> well vedanti we enjoyed having you on here um and we're so grateful that you came on and we would just like to close out by saying thank you and if you would like to follow us on social media you can find us on uh, instagram at nba underscore ladies or nba ladies podcast at gmail.com if you have any thoughts you can dm us or email us at any time 